Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Good and Pastor Brett Bow and Pastor Nathan Olson wrap up their conversation on Article 13 of the Augsburg Confession, looking at a New Testament passage. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary. Wherever your vocation is, start here, go anywhere, grounded in God's Word. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett Bowe, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Dr. Nathan Olson. Yes, welcome back, everybody. We're back for our New Testament episode on uh, Article 13 of the Augsburg Confession. Yeah, and in studying the New Testament, we're going to be talking exclusively about the Old Testament, almost. (laughs) (laughs) So much correlation between the two. That's right. (laughs) Just can't get away from it, but that's all right. It's good. It's good, and again... This is going to be doing the flip side of the coin of what we talked about last week with Daniel in in showing how these various biblical events, Mm -hmm. God uses human history to uh, explain and communicate timeless truth about the gospel, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, the hardest part for people to wrap their brains around, that God is doing this in history, in real time, to deliver Christ to people throughout all of the ages and in every location, mm-hmm. which is yeah. magnificent. And then when you start to see these connections form throughout Scripture, it just starts to blow your mind of of uh, just how it's all connected together uh, like that, and that web of, of truths. Yep. Yep. So we are in uh, 1 Corinthians 10. You can grab your Bible and follow along with us as we study the Scriptures. Uh, yeah, we love going to the Word, and want to encourage you all listeners to go to the Word, get get in the Word. And so uh, we're in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 13, and I will read that in Jesus' name. It says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Here ends the reading of God's word. Amen. 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 All right, so 1 Corinthians 10. Jason, you mentioned that it's uh, pointing us back to the Old Testament. Um, Let's start there. Yeah, so... We have some pretty direct language about being baptized into Moses and eating the spiritual food and drinking the spiritual drink. Uh, so so we've, we've got a sacramental connection <laughs> yeah. to the Red Sea yes. and to the water coming from the rock and to the manna from heaven. Mm-hmm. And again, what's interesting here is that ultimately this passage tells us 
to not let the sacraments become ex opere operato, to not become mere rote ceremonies that have no significance, but kind of give us this magic protection, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, if I'm re- if I'm remembering my my um, which Reformation okay. history, uh, it, it was the practice right before Martin Luther that people would receive communion preemptively because they knew they were going to sin, <laughs> kind of a thing, you know. And, and, and that might be jumbling a couple of stories Better together. To ask but for uh, forgiveness, ask and for forgiveness yeah. and permission. Yeah, shoot first, apologize later. Which, by the way, you know, I was thinking about this whole ex opere apparato thing. Um, do you suppose that the the person that is falling into that is uh, the person, the family that doesn't really have any connection with church, but um, just wants to come in just for the ceremonial aspect of like a baptism, uh, yep. I'm thinking. So the, the family that wants to be baptized because great-grandma Jane yes. wants to see her great-grandchild be baptized, uh, there's a little bit of that to yeah. it. Uh, your Christian and the Easter Christians, uh, although that's, uh, from what I understand, actual research shows that that's a dying thing. It's mm-hmm. not so much a thing as it was in the 50s, you know, right. where you, you had this kind of patriotic Christianity that everyone kind of quasi-participated in after yeah. World War II. We've kind of rooted that out. I, I think the big one uh, that would be in focus now, and, and this isn't really to throw the people under the bus, but uh, our demographics researchers today have really no idea how to tell a Christian from another person. And, and, and I, I talk to the people in my congregation about this all the time, a Barna research or a Pew research or like especially research conducted by like something like the New York Times or the Washington Post that they don't have any concept of religion to the point where was it about 10 years ago, uh, an actual reporter from the Washington Post, I think, admitted in an interview, yeah, we don't get religion at all. Mm-hmm. Like in, in you know, all the w- the way they cover religion, they just don't understand it. We live in such a secular, atheistic society that these surveys measuring the behavior of Christians are giving us a faulty, faulty presence. So to round back, if you're reading those, the first thing you should do is to find out how they define Christian. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I've read a couple papers on this in the last three, four years. It turns out the line that we were being fed for the last 25 or 30 years about how the divorce rate in the church is identical to the divorce rate in society is entirely bogus uh, because they were misdefining Christianity. If you define Christianity on biblical terms, the divorce rate just shrinks yeah. to minuscule. It's still there because Christians are still sinners. But but the problem what we're running into is, well, uh, some surveys, if you have some sort of belief in the Judeo-Christian God, then you're a Christian. And right, if you check Christian on a box. Yeah, if you, if you, if you identify as Christian, then you're Christian. Uh, you know, like if you go to church, I think one survey was three times a year. Or, or, or something like that. I, mm-hmm. uh, I actually remember uh, I had a, a survey demographer call me up when I was in Bible college. Uh, and and um, they said, uh, we're doing a survey. Are you willing to take it? And I it was bored one afternoon. I think it was after I'd been laid off and didn't have a job. And I said, oh, sure, I'll take your survey. And the first, <laughs> the first question was, well, how many worship services a week do you attend? And it was like, I think I said it was like six or eight. Because you have all your chapel services, and you have Wednesday night, and then uh, <laughs> Sunday morning, and then we were going to the Vespers uh, Sunday evening oh, service, wow. yeah. and the guy's like, uh, 
I'm sorry, we have to stop. You're going to throw off the results of our survey. Mm. <laughs> I was like a unicorn, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you have all of these things. And it's to go back to what you asked and yeah. why you asked it is you have this, this vague conception of spirituality apart from any real connection to what scripture is saying. And, and, and this passage mm-hmm. in, in Corinthians is especially damning because the people were baptized. The people had received communion for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. These are the people who had walked physically through the Red Sea, yeah. who had received miracle after miracle um, from the water from the rock and the manna six days a week and, and uh, their, their sandals did not wear out and their clothes did not wear out and, and all of these damning statements even in the Pentateuch about these stiff-necked and obstinate people and, and they repeatedly got it wrong and the message here from Paul and applying is don't be like these people. <laughs> don't put your trust in things that aren't God's word. Mm-hmm. And, and so to the Christians who think, well, I can sin and then I can go to church on Sunday and get communion and I'm good. Or, you know, in the history of the church, like Constantine, I'm going to wait to be baptized until my deathbed. It's going to wash away all my sins and then I'm good to go, you know, kind of a thing. This is what's being condemned. Oh, what Paul is doing is connecting us with both the promises of God's word yeah. with a life of faith lived out in real time. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and so there, like you said, there are very concrete connections to baptism, very concrete connections to uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, let's start with the, the baptism one. All were baptized into Moses in the, and in the cloud and in the sea. Um, let's I, throw that to Nathan. What do you think? Yeah, right. <laughs> baptized into the name of Moses. How it's into Moses, not into the yeah, name of Moses. Right. That, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess one of the things I think of in that is, um, I mean, everybody was going through the Red Sea, even the the little babies being carried by. Oh, I love that! I love um, it. You know, baptize the, your babies. You baptize your babies, yeah, <laughs> all the way up to the you know the oldest of the the old. Yeah. Um, we're passing through, uh, but you know, why why is this connection being made there, Nathan? Well, you you see God, um, his people regularly looking back to the Red Sea as a place where God intervened. And throughout the whole Old Testament, there's that theme of pointing back to that as a place where God chiefly acted to deliver and to save and, and to bring them out his promise associated with that physical location. And, and so, yeah, they're, they're all walking through that. It's something they're all participated. They're called and, and named, you know, the people of God in his deliverance through that. Um, but we see them, you know, idolatrizing that, uh, living not uh, in faith, but just looking to the act. Well, it's a perfect example because you're right. It is, it is not only an event in the Old Testament, but it is the event of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Looking back... And, and yeah. you know that gives us the the event of deliverance. The, the, well, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and really the event of the Old Testament period. It's yep. it's mm-hmm. the thing that defines the nation of Israel is that they in in the Lord will talk. I delivered you out of Egypt with an out you know with might and power and an outstretched arm. Right is kind of the phrase he says. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, there's your connection to baptism. It's it's known as an event of deliverance. Mm-hmm. You're free from bondage. You're you're essentially washed clean. Uh, and you're brought to the promised land. Mm-hmm. The problem that we run into with the people of the Red Sea and the problem we run in with the people who misunderstand baptism is that two chapters later, the uh, people are whining to go back to Egypt. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're already like, oh, wait, well, how we long for the leeks in the onions in mm-hmm. the meat pots of the Egyptians. Yeah, what about the, you know, the overlords and mm-hmm. the, the making of the bricks and and it's the, the treating God as this cosmic butler and what have you done for me lately becomes a real problem for the Israelites. Mm-hmm. And, and the message here is not that the Red Sea was ineffective. Right. It's that the people were still struggling with their sin. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the same thing. We can treat baptism as if it's our golden ticket to heaven. Right. Mm-hmm. But if our baptism isn't connected to a life of repentance, mm-hmm. then uh, we're not permitted to look back at our baptism as the thing, the saving act, because we've put ourselves under the same judgment. We've put ourselves back in the same bondage of sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's a theme of, of our podcast over and over again is we're in constant need for the gospel yeah. uh, and to cling to that in that same gospel grace we receive in baptism in the Lord's Supper is is that journey uh, along the way. Uh, we, we need that every hour. Well, we need it every hour, and, and the, the repeated nature of the application of the gospel, that makes for a great segue into the second two events, the water from yep. the rock and the spiritual food of the manna that's described, because the manna was given every six days mm-hmm. for 40 straight years, and it didn't stop until they crossed over Jordan and started the conquest of Canaan. Uh, and the water, the, 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 you had the multiple miracles of the water throughout the wandering in the wilderness where mm-hmm. God delivered this life-giving, you know, r- you know, these rivers of life. And, and you have the direct application that the rock was Christ, the, mm-hmm. where the, the life-giving water flows out of Christ. So you have all that symbolism. And yet, what did the people do? They longed for something else. They longed for something different. And, and I think just perfectly instructive of this is that time uh, after the manna where they were, they got sick of the manna, give us some meat to eat. And I tell you what, that cuts to my heart because <laughs> I grew up in the upper Midwest and every meal must have bread and it must have meat. You know, having a, having a salad at a meal is just a foreign concept to me. And so I hear they're, 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 they're grumbling about it, but God answers their prayer and he gives them something else to eat, and they get sick. Mm-hmm. The promise is it'll, you'll eat it so much, it'll be coming out of your nose, I think is the phrase, right? And, and it makes them sick, and they die of the plague. How often have we as pastors, or have we in our sin, wanted something to do? Wanted something, we, we craved something mm-hmm. than the simple gospel that is delivered to us. Mm-hmm. And when we crave something else, we eventually become poisoned and sick by it. Yeah, yeah, we crave that law-based, uh, law-driven type of faith. And, and mm-hmm. I, I tell you what, it's so appealing and enticing because not only are we getting to do something, we are getting to be active, but it, soon it will be something we take credit for. And, and I think so unfortunately about friends of mine who have gone down that path and to a T, everyone I know who has fallen into a law-based Christianity has fallen either into despair and walked away from the yep. faith or has fallen into that Pharisaism right. where they become ultimately proud in their obedience rather than reliant on the gospel. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in this text, Nathan, you know, it's the, the response to the way that these Israelites failed was not just to a law-based response. There's, there is law there. Uh, but how is law and gospel played out in the rest of this text of um, how is the law applied and how is the gospel applied? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Brett. I let me just pause and go back to something that Jason was saying here. I've just been contemplating a little bit. I'm on just the 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 two events and the the Red Sea crossing. You have a deliverance there, and you have an opportunity for a different identity marker. You know, so the, these people who were identified as, as slaves of Egypt, they were uh, that was their identity. That's what they knew for 400 years. Now they've been given a new identity in an event of identity as delivered ones. And kind of going back to Jason's comment, now they're you know on the other side of the Red Sea, they're wanting to go back and, and pursue a different identity. Um, and then the second event, you have something offered to them to sustain them. You know, it's a, it's a regular six days a week sustenance given, and yet they're choosing to forsake that um, sustaining thing that God is offering them and pursue something else. And so when you think about how that kind of mirrors with law and gospel, going to your question, you have what God has offered to them, you know, his grace being given to them, a new identity, a daily sustaining, and, and yet they're rejecting that. And instead pursuing something that they would want to find sustenance in, something that they would want to find their identity in, they're uh, going toward idolatry and those things. And so then there's that rebuke then from, from Paul here and the warning against idolatry, the warning against coming up with our own idea of sustenance, our own identity and how that leads astray. Um, yeah, so, so many layers here in that passage, but uh, good to bring that up, Brett. I think it's important to identify Paul's pattern here Mm -hmm. is to identify that every time uh, the Israelites failed, it was because they were pursuing their own idea of what life in the promised land should be like. Mm -hmm. Uh, That idea always ended up being a return to bondage. That was their, you know, get us back to Egypt. Mm-hmm. And, and so the passions of our heart always are bondage. And every time they did that, they were punished. That there's consequences for sin. That there's punishment for sin. Then the end application becomes very profound. Mm. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Yeah. The... the the first line, I wonder, and I want to be careful with this, but I, I've been thinking about this. The first line, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I don't think that's meant to be an encouragement. <laughs> I, I think in the same way we can look at it and say, you are just like these fools. Yeah, right. You know, you're not unique. Hmm. You know, it's the problem. Yeah, is, we might think, oh, those guys are so dumb to fall down, but... Hmm. Yeah, well, it's and, the same stuff. There is encouragement with it because, you know, one of the temptations for people in the church that, that gives most people despair from my perspective as a pastor is that they will be convinced they're entirely unique mm-hmm. at sinning, like they're exceptional at sinning. And this is like, no, you're not exceptional at sinning. Everyone struggles with this, yep. right? You're not, pre- But also, you're just like these fools, right? Yep. You're going to do this. And then God is faithful. Mm-hmm. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So the purpose of the law then is that God is not intending to smite you. And... and, and how often have we heard the law preached in such a way that do good or else? Mm-hmm. You know, God. The whole point is that God is not giving you the law to smite you, but with your temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. Now, the question is, what's the way of escape? Mm, yeah. In our moralism, 
<laughs> we are tempted to make the way of escape our resistance to temptation. <laughs> In the flow of here, since this passage is starting with the sacraments, it's going into a one-chapter-long treatise on communion, <laughs> and then going directly from communion into spiritual gifts. <laughs> We're not talking about our abilities. We're talking about... The, the way out of temptation is to flee to the gospel. Yeah, the promise of God. To make, so, so to answer this for the Israelites is the way out of temptation is, remember, hmm. you've been delivered from Egypt. You are no longer slaves in Egypt. Yeah. New Re- identity. New identity. Remember, you're going to wake up tomorrow and the man is going to be on the ground. Hmm. And God has never failed to provide you with the water you need. And the message is the same. Uh, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how then will he fail to give us all good things? The, the, the answer to our temptation, the answer to our worries, the answer to our fears is Jesus Christ on the cross. Mm-hmm. If God is, has done that for us, he will sustain us. And it's always as Christians to put the gospel before our eyes. That's the answer here. And I have heard this passage being preached multiple times about Mm -hmm. you don't have to give in to temptation. But that makes the moral of the story Mm. our moralism. Mm. And we're going to fail. Oh, man. I think I've preached that sermon. (laughs) Well, I'm pretty sure I have some time too, right? Which which there's there's a... there's a truth to it, right? That's a tr- yeah, God that's doesn't a truth. want you to fall into temptation. Right. It's not, oh, haha, you fell into temptation. I'm really good at sinning. God's really good at forgiving. It's a perfect relationship. Right. No, that's not what's and, being and communicated. And even in the power of the Spirit, when we do resist temptation, that is a working of God's grace in our lives. It's a working of God's grace, and it's an no, outflowing of the gospel. No, it's yeah. not. But but where we want to go, because of the way it's worded, and because of the way we're wired, is to make this about our obedience. No, this is about the gospel. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing for us now, just like the Israelites could go back to their identity as being delivered from Egypt, just like the Israelites could go back to their daily provision with the spiritual food, Christians can go back to our identity. I'm a miserable sinner, Pastor. I don't know what to do. You're a baptized child of God. Mm-hmm. Pastor, I'm worried. How do I know that God uh, is going to forgive me and provide for me? I'm terrified, Pastor. I don't know where my paycheck's going to come from. I don't know if I'm going to lose my job. I don't know how to parent my kids, whatever the practical thing of fear is, is God puts his body and blood on the altar for you on Sunday, and he's going to forgive your sins. Mm -hmm. And this is how you know he will continue to provide for you. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, good. Well, I think it's time to wrap up this episode. Any closing thoughts on uh, 1 Corinthians 10, thinking about the sacraments? Um, We've covered a lot of uh, great ground here. Yeah. God is faithful, right? Hmm. He is faithful. He will provide. And we see that applied regularly in our churches through baptism and Lord's Supper. Mm, yeah, we have these great gifts, uh, you know, baptism, you know, ha- happening once in our lives, and then just the repeated giving of the Lord's Supper, and uh, how that sustains us, and is a, another giving of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's just amazing for us that the proper use of the sacraments results in ultimate comfort for the believer, mm-hmm. and the abuse of the sacraments results in completely being robbed of that comfort. Mm-hmm. There, there isn't a middle ground here. Yeah, good. All right, having received this comfort, we'll close with uh, uh, verses right after this text. Uh, verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 10, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing, what we bless, is it, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a partic- participation in the body of Christ? 
Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, please visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.